began work on the Campus Due Process Protection Act. And talk about that yes, and why sir. that's important. Take, for example, go to a student and say, well, if you go and go to this Trump rally, we have to respect your free speech, but uh, it might be a violation of our student code of conduct that will force you to go through a hearing where you can't see the evidence against you, you can't have anybody with you, you can't speak out unless we tell you to. All these hearings, you risk suspension and expulsion and the loss of your whole entire education online. In uh, starting in 2020, we introduced the first edition of the Campus Due Process Protection Act. My universities labeled me as the apocalypse of higher education because I asked that students should have a three-day notice to hear. They should be presumed innocent before, before you establish guilt. That you should be allowed to see the evidence against you. Right. I, oh, they thought I was real crazy for that one. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thanks for joining us for another edition of American Potential. We really appreciate you joining us for these uh, episodes. We're doing about three a week. We try and release lots of episodes. I mean, we're getting uh, close to almost 100 episodes that we have uh, recorded and, and released in um, you know just over six months. So it's just been great. And, you know, we see each and every day, we see these stories seems like every day there's a new story in America where someone was offended by something that someone said, and they try to cancel that person or shut down their right to free speech. And this, to me, is one of the gravest dangers facing America. Our strength has always come from our long tradition of free speech. It's something our founding fathers believed was a right given to us by God, and that government had no right to infringe upon our right to express our beliefs. But that long-standing tradition can only be passed on to future generations if we all practice tolerance of each other's views. Tolerance. It's something we hear a lot of preaching about, but it seems we're in short supply of tolerance in some places in America today, and especially on America's college campuses. Once the harbinger of free speech and free expression, sadly, we see colleges around America that think they can use the power of their institution to silence voices that they don't like. And nothing can be more un-American, in my view. Now, the First Amendment provides that government cannot interfere with people's right to say what they think and say what they feel, because this allows the free exchange of ideas, and it gives all of us the opportunity to better understand others' viewpoints, and maybe if our argument is persuasive enough to change someone else's mind. But if we can't have the discussion because of censorship, will never solve some of our biggest problems. Now, today's guest believes everyone has the right to say what they think and feel, even if what they are saying is negative towards him. He believes in free speech so much that he's worked on getting two different bills passed in Kentucky. 
The first allows students to speak freely on campus and in the classroom. And the second allows students to better represent themselves when facing campus disciplinary actions. I want to welcome Michael Frazier, who's the founder and director of Kentucky Students' Rights Coalition. Uh, Michael, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, and thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, not just to myself, but to the importance of the First Amendment and the principles of free expression, free speech, free thought. When it comes to our college campuses, you, you said it exactly right. Out of all the places in the United States that should be the bastions of being able to not only to think freely, but to be challenged freely, we have really missed the mark in our current modern college campus. And in the bastions of where it should be the marketplace of ideas, our college campuses are more concerned about coddling and producing than they are actually expressing and making the molds and the minds of America's tomorrow. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, it's really sad. I mean, I really, I said in the opening, I think it is one of the greatest threats that America faces. This has always been our strength is that we tolerate differing opinions and we learn from one another by expressing and sharing those opinions. And, and it just seems like we've really mm-hmm. getting away from that as a society. And we are. And, and it's so important to understand what the word tolerance means. Tolerance doesn't mean acceptance. Right. Tolerance doesn't mean acquiescence. But tolerance means that we have the ability to ensure that when it comes to the marketplace, it's here, that we will have the marketplace because regardless of your opinion, even from the most palatable to the most intolerant, if you will, as some people would say, um, it makes us better. When we face these challenges, when I have somebody that likes to call me, um, and as well as being a, a First Amendment advocate, I'm also an LGBT advocate. So I get put into so many different uh, unique positions as part of my advocacy, especially as in, in its intersection, uh, where I have some people that like to call me a particular F word. And, you know, the immediate reaction is a seizing. It's an assaulting of the senses of where people would say, well, how do you continue on from that? Well, frankly, even when I'm called such words, um, it brings up the openness and the ability for the marketplace and to engage in dialogue. And so even when we're able to have the most, if you will, hateful speech, it's always best to have it so that we can improve each other, so that we can be challenged. And honestly, it's been able to allow me to go out and talk to various different play, different people with different ideas and talk to them about the positions to change hearts and minds. And so to me, when it comes to the dangers of being anti-free speech, I think that the test of any free speech advocate is not when we defend speech we we agree with. The real test for any free speech advocate is when we defend that speech in which we find the most repugnant. Yeah, Boy, and challenge it. Yeah, and that's so true. And that's what the first, that's what our founding fathers uh, meant when they talked about protecting speech. There's no need to yeah. protect speech about whether you like pralines and cream ice cream or chocolate better. I mean, nobody needs to protect that, that as a, uh, as a free speech, right? It's about these tough issues of, you know, social issues and politics and religious issues. That's, that's the whole purpose of the first amendment that those 
ideas not be infringed upon by government, right? Absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes comes from Floyd Abrams, who's one of America's premier scholars on the First Amendment. And he akin the First Amendment to being the rock star of our constitutional amendments. But there was a, in, in comparing it to being the rock star, talking about how um, the First Amendment has protected um, comedians, rock stars, um, lyrics and songs from not only rock stars but to rappers. But in its protection, it has become a reflection of the soul of America. That is ours to shape, to define. Out of all the amendments, uh, when people look at our Constitution, which was historically applied to white, straight, 21-year-old men property owners, that, that was the limitation of the property uh, of, the, of the Constitution at the time. The First Amendment is what seized the soul, shaped the mind, and gave the ability to express freely for all groups. Therefore, anytime we erode it, we're not only just eroding the principles, we're eroding ourselves and our very souls. And that's what our founders believed, because the First Amendment, our beliefs, our thoughts, our expression, is just extensions of ourselves. Yeah, well, so, so well put. And you talked about, you know, being called, you know, a, you know, a, a not nice name. Uh, you know, we, we've had that throughout our history where people have used words that, 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 that can be hurtful to other people. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we used to have this tradition in America that if people were going to say that, you just kind of let them say it. And, and the argument fell, fell its own way. You know, I mean, people looked at that and said, person's kind of ignorant for, for using those kinds of terms. It's, it's mm-hmm. like the little kid who, instead of arguing about, uh, you know, some, something in school just says, oh, you're dumb or you're stupid. I mean, th- th- so we just used to let those words be said we protected it and we moved on but it's it's like we've gotten to this point where all of a sudden society feels like well you just can't say those things and we have to protect you or cancel you or worse yet throw you in jail if you say certain words that somebody else might find offensive that's not the tradition of america it's not the tradition of the first amendment no and it's a dangerous tradition as well because you got to think just in my lifetime here in the commonwealth of kentucky until 1993, you could be jailed for being gay. You could. It not, and I don't mean in regards to engaging in uh, what I would call illegal acts, such as prostitution or, um, or gay adjacent, if you will, that you're doing something in the act of like prostitution, human trafficking, nothing of that. For the mere act of being gay or promoting, quote, gayness, it was a Class A misdemeanor with a $500 fine and up to one year in jail up until 1993. And so the laws that we see that today that goes into censorship, the, the, me, the mechanics of putting into contractual terms that would, outlaw, that would outlaw and censor what people today or what I would hope would be a modern people's interpretation of hateful language was the same mechanism that was used to censor us, LGBT people, just 30 years ago. Right. And I think that people have forgot that history. And so it's it's not just we, we, we should dispel it. We should step up. We should say as a people that, you know, I hope that we have improved in the last 30 years. I hope we improve 30 years from today. I hope what we know today will be outdated 
in 30 years from now, let us pray that. Um, but it's always best to respond with more free speech, not censorship. And frankly, censorship, for example, when our Kentucky Department of Education was, put up a pride post in June, some of the most awful comments on Twitter uh, happen as uh, uh, talking about the post. And regardless of what you believe, when KDE, the Kentucky Department of Education, shut off the Twitter comments, I went out and said, this is censorship. And it's censorship because you don't want to give any ability, no room or quarter, for individuals to hide behind censorship because that's all that allows. Um, you should always want the openness of it to see where people stand because that's how, where you start changing people's hearts and minds. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing in Kentucky, how, how it formed your opinion on free speech. Yeah, so I was born in a holler in eastern Kentucky. <laughs> okay. Um, for, and, for those, and, and, there's a lot of people in the for, that aren't from the South that don't know what a holler is, so you might have to explain that to folks, to Northerners. Well, <laughs> well oh, yes, uh, uh, briar hoppers, I think is the, is the word, uh, with respect to my good Northern friends. <laughs> okay. um, but, uh, but, uh, but a holler is a hollow, and it's a place surrounded by mountains and in Appalachia. And just to be clear, it's Appalachia, not Appalachia. Just, <laughs> just again, another point of clarity. Um, you know, we're always surrounded by the mountains that creates uh, these little valleys and, ho- and hollers. And these, in our, in our hollers in eastern Kentucky, we're very proud. We're very, uh, we have a lot of pride in where we come from because we've had to overcome so much adversity. This is the, this is the place of where, um, you know, as one person, uh, Linda Blackford, who wrote a book on the dynamics of Eastern Kentucky, that Eastern Kentucky is a war-torn area that not even Johnson's War could pierce. We are a place of tragedy, of hope, of perseverance and resistance. We are Appalachia in the most unique way. And that sort of tells you that we were in the place that I come from. We were born so poor, we didn't know it. Uh, we had chickens running out of our trailers. We Everybody used their oven as heat. And when something broke, you all came together because you didn't know if it would happen to you and you wanted your neighbors to be there. So my family worked in factories. My dad never graduated high school. Um, in fact, he, he can't read to this day. One of my uh, moments of learning about education equality is when uh, education and equality when it came to just depending upon the county line you were in, um, you know, within the generations itself, a learning experience that I had was when my dad asked me how to spell father because he couldn't say, he couldn't understand the difference between the F or the PH. Mm. And then my mom is of the, uh, uh, the, 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 what has become the traditional balance here in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, she has suffered from, um, addiction, uh, particularly when it comes to prescription pain pills and methamphetamine. Uh, one in four uh, kids here in eastern Kentucky has a parent in jail. Um, I was one of those four where I had to actually at 16 use the No Child Left Behind Act to, uh, uh, to fight for my own transfer to a school that just had AP courses because my school was still rolling in the Magnavox, teaching us science via PBS. 
This is this is the dynamics of Eastern Kentucky. So we watch people who hardworking people, kind people, proud people, wonderful, caring individuals uh, who work their souls, wanting to better each other, um, be silenced, particularly by their circumstance, by their economic, by poverty, and and frankly by our government as well. Uh, where anytime somebody said that. Uh, well, your answer should be the government. We all looked at each other and said, well, heck, heck. Um, the government is the one that put the toxic waste dump next door. The government is the one that has made sure that we have certificate of need and we can't get proper health care in eastern Kentucky. The mm-hmm. government is the one that has limited our education abilities. <laughs> the, guy, the, the answer is not the government. In fact, um, it's pretty bipartisan in eastern Kentucky. We are not fans of the government. <laughs> So I watched. I watched uh, my community be silent. Um, also, because of the again traditional, uh, what has become tradition in Eastern Kentucky, uh, families dealing with drugs. I watched my mom be silent, be silenced by abuse, by drugs, um, and so many else. Especially when we called the opiate before we started calling the opiate opiate epidemic the epidemic. It was just uh, impacting a bunch of poor people in eastern Kentucky, so no one cared. Right. Uh, the answer was just to throw everybody in jail, shut the key, and don't let them out. So I watched my community be silent. So when I went to the University of Kentucky and started really seeing marginalized groups as well be silent, um, LGBT, Black Lives Matter, I went to school at eastern Kentucky, uh, at the University of Kentucky, when incidences such as uh, Trayvon Martin happened, um, um, uh, George Floyd, uh, in protest on campus. And regardless uh, of anyone's feelings about the protest, I watched kids be censored, kids be threatened to be beaten and spat on on the floor at our main library, and being told, if you don't shut up, you, you, you're going to be punished through a student code of conduct process. And these are kids, and just to be clear upon the instance, these are kids just holding a sign. Mm. Well, my yeah. goodness, no wonder why religious liberty is being censored. If we can't allow a kid to hold a sign, or in my case, when a hate preacher came to campus trying to say the most, and when I say hate preacher, this is one of the individuals who visits, it, visits the campus, yells out some of the most awful things that one could hear, um, calling girls whores, uh, LGBT people, the F word, intentionally trying to spark outrage on campus, right? Right. Um, you know, I wanted to give free hugs on free hug day with Baptist Ministries. My response with things that you don't like is not with hate, it's with love. And so when I went to campus and the response to any of these groups just holding a sign was, Get off, shut up, or be due pro- or go through our conduct uh, hearings without due process. When I was when I was giving out free hugs on free hug day, I was told that I could get in trouble and have my whole entire degree threatened. So these are the responses that I saw, all built up through uh, my experiences through Eastern Kentucky, and I think it was on campus where I finally went enough. Uh, we're going to fight for free speech here. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you had this, this speaker that came that was invited to speak on campus. And as your way of protesting was to give out hugs. 
now, explain though how that landed you in front of seventeen representatives of the college. <laughs> well, uh, well, not of the college, but the whole university. Yeah. So, um, a a hate preacher uh, came to campus, and their their message. Uh, I really hate using the word hate preacher because it it gives a connotation that somebody sincerely held beliefs is hateful. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. This is somebody who's who comes to campuses all over the country with the intention to incite reaction and provoke mm-hmm. by calling sorority girls whores, uh, fraternity men just pure rapists, calling our basketball team, um, our, our mostly black basketball team, a, um, a, a, uh, a, a, a derogatory word. Mm-hmm. So this person wasn't invited to campus. They just show up on the campus. Mm-hmm. And, they were put into what was called a free speech zone at our university. And the zone was, uh, was a 10 by 10 feet area on the upward slant of a hill next to the dumpster, dumpsters behind our student center. So it was intentionally meant to be out of sight, out of mind. Well, when you have somebody there yelling awful things with a megaphone, you might catch the eye of one or two students. In this case, maybe probably about 50 to 60 students. Well, I never wanted to infringe upon his free speech. That's never the intention. So my response was, you know, hey, let's let's just have a moment to show kids, all kids, regardless of what you believe, let's show them some love. So let's give out free hugs because it also happened to be free hug day. So I contacted um uh, 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 campus ministries with uh, Catholic Wildcats, which is our Catholic student group, Baptist ministries, Methodist student ministries, and said, well, let's all go out and meet. And so we went to the free speech zone, or according to our student center director, one foot outside of the free speech zone. I was standing on the sidewalk that, uh, that ran next to the free speech zone. And because I was standing outside one foot from the free speech zone, I was told that I was in violation of the University of Kentucky's free speech policies. So keep in mind, I was free speeching in violation of the free speech policy. Gosh. Yeah. And I was asked uh, to stop and told that I need to either be in the zone that was overflowing and crowded due to the hate preacher and the students, or I just needed to stop what I was doing unless I wanted to be in trouble with our student code of conduct and dean of students. And I said, well, what's the difference between the other people standing on the sidewalk versus me giving hugs on the sidewalk? And the student center director said, well, you're, you're doing an action and they're doing nothing. I said, no, they're watching. That's free speech. Right. What's the difference? And this is where the student center director said, I have decided there's a difference. You either stop or you go see the dean of students. <clears throat> and I said, well, I am happy to meet that challenge. Right. Uh, that afternoon, I got an email from the general counsel, Mr. William E. Throw, who requested for me to meet him and, quote, a few others in a conference room in our main building. 
And I Googled the conference room within our main building, and I saw that it sat um, at least 20 to 30 people. Now, you know, you don't have a meeting with just a few people in a conference room that sits that many people. <laughs> so I knew it was going to be an ambush. And not knowing other resources, such as the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, now Expressions of the Fire or ACLU. Uh, again, I'm a first-generation student who graduated high school, much less go to college or think that I was going to be in a free speech crisis on campus. Um, I went to the library for a week and studied for almost 100 hours First Amendment jurisprudence. And... At our meeting the following week, I went to 306 Main Building, walked in, and there were 17 campus administrators. Our general counsel, our deputy general counsel, student student director, my dean of my college, the dean of students, chief police officers, the chief of police, the head of marketing, the assistant marketing. It was a boardroom of administrators for two and a half hours. For two and a half hours, I was told how I was too stupid to Eastern Kentucky, and too gay to want free speech on campus. And that's how the conversation, and I, and that's how I landed into that conversation. That's incredible. Um, now, you decided in, at, at some point, at some level, you decided not to just focus on this at the campus level, but rather at the state level. Um, you you uh, helped get past the Kentucky Campus Free Speech Protection Act. How were you involved mm-hmm. with that bill? Talk about your work to get that, that bill passed. Yeah, so it started in that boardroom, room 306, and it was because I went to other student groups and said, this isn't right. How, what is your experience with free speech on campus? And the detail would always be different, but the tell was the same. Well, we were advocating for, at that time, uh, student Democrats were advocating for uh, Allison Lundergan Grimes. He was running against Mitch McConnell and was kicked off from campus. And then I would have college Republicans come and say, we were just kicked off from advocating for Mitch McConnell uh, doing the exact same thing as the Democrats. And I would have students from all different uh, sides of the political spectrum come to me and say, Again, tell very different. Their cause very different. The tell, the, the detail would be different, but the tell would all be the same. And so as part of going into that meeting, I gather student groups and said, we may all disagree from black student union to NAACP to college Republicans to college Democrats, young Americans for liberty, students for liberty. I had a petition of over 35 student organizations at the University of Kentucky saying, we want to abolish the free speech zone. And that's what made us so different is that usually, and in this meeting uh, with the university, they like to play upon particularly marginalized identities to say, you don't want free speech. It's not because we... uh, we, we, we want to protect the, whatever the person's saying. It's out of safety for you. Well, that's insulting. It's mm-hmm. saying that me as a gay person can't handle a few mean words. I assure you, a gay person for the past 50 years has been handling a little bit more than a few, few mean words. We can handle them on campus, too. And um, so I took that same model 
And I started going to other campuses. I like to make the joke that, like the Queen of England, this queen also went on a Commonwealth tour. And I went from campus to campus to campus asking, tell me about your free speech issues. And again, detail different. The tale was the same. And I even started seeing my own university who did eventually get rid of its free speech zone. That was the deal we made. But the closer I got to graduation, the further they started walking that back. So I knew, and I had the fear that when I left UK, they would go back to their old tricks. So I went, we got to solve this issue. I took, I went, took all the groups I visited, started the Kentucky Student Rights Coalition, and said, are there principles? We all disagree. We all vehemently disagree with one another to a degree. But aren't there principles in which we can all agree to, such as free speech and free expression and ability to freely think? And we all say yes. So we spent two years advocating at the state legislature, requesting them to pass the Kentucky Campus uh, Free Speech Protection Act that protects free speech on campus in the outdoor area, protects academic freedom in the classroom for both students and professors, because we are also having conservative professors being censored. It protects against heckler's veto, which is where students try to shout down certain speakers invited to campus. You can't do that in Kentucky. And it also ensured viewpoint uh, neutral policies and diversity of the thought on our campuses. And it became the largest bill in the country protecting free speech on campus. And we're very proud of that. Yeah, that well, that's great. And, you know, I love that you worked with all kinds of different groups who didn't agree on many different topics, but they did agree on free speech and how important it is to protect that all, free speech. All members of college Republicans, college Democrats, NAACP, LGBT, it was the first bill ever to be endorsed by the Conservative Family Foundation and the Kentucky LGBT Youth Law Project in Kentucky history. Yeah. We brought these people together. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Now, you didn't stop there. Um, After the Campus Free Speech Protection Act got passed, you began work on the Campus Due Process Protection Act. And talk about that and why that's important. So when we were battling the free speech zone, and especially when we were battling battling it on the campus, on the legislature front, the free speech zone was starting to be less used by the campuses because uh, during my advocacy, I found out there was it, uh, they were more reliant upon their due process, uh, student code of conduct, and the lack of due process in these hearings. Take for example, would you rather be able to in a secret hearing? Uh, be able to go to a student and say, well, if you go and go to this Trump rally, we have to respect your free speech, but uh, it might be a violation of our student code of conduct that will force you to go through a hearing where you can't see the evidence against you, you can't have anybody with you, you can't speak out unless we tell you to, and it will cost you either your job as an RA, future positions, and these hearings, oh, I forgot to say that all these hearings, you risk suspension and expulsion and the loss of your whole entire education on the line. Yeah. These are these types of hearings, and it's any charge that they can bring to you, bring against you. So 
these hearings, these student code of conduct hearings, became the favorite for our universities, and this is nationwide. And so when you look at the lack of due process and the chilling effect it has on speech and the ability for people just to engage in anything, this is the reason why in recent polls and uh, poll publications from Pew, from FIRE, that we see uh, people who self-censor more than any time ever on campus is because they're afraid of being reported to their student code of conduct. Um, so we took this seriously. And in uh, starting in 2020, we introduced the first edition of the Campus Due Process Protection Act. As you can hear in the names of my two bills, uh, the good Lord gave me a lot of abilities. Naming a bill is not one of them. They all sound the same. But um, it gave robust due process protection. Uh, and I, I know that this is going to sound crazy because um, – my universities labeled me as the apocalypse of higher education, or and I, and I hope you all are sitting down for this, because I asked that students should have a three-day notice to a hearing, <laughs> that they should be presumed innocent before before you establish guilt. I, I know. I, do you all need a moment? <laughs> that you should be allowed to see the evidence against you. Right. I, oh, they thought I was real crazy for that one. Yeah. You should have the right to appeal, and then universities should tell the legislature how many students it's kicking out per year. Hmm. Every university opposed me, but not one university would face me in a committee hearing. Right. In the three committee hearings we had, not a single institution would face yeah. me because they knew what they were doing is wrong. Well, and, and, and let me just stop you there. Michael, where did you get all those ideas from? Where did they come oh, from? I, I, I have to assume that I had some sort of delusion that involved Thomas Jefferson and George <laughs> Washington and our Constitution. Yeah. Uh, but these are all things that should have already been done. Of course. But so many people don't realize that yeah. in our discussions about college campuses is that this is how they treat students. And I'm, I don't want to get into the argument of, you know, should colleges be free? That's not what we argue at the end of the day. But when you pay tuition, your tuition becomes a property right. A university is a state agency. Mm -hmm. It is an actor of the state. You cannot take away somebody's property right without due process of law or substantive due process of law in this case. And that's what they were doing because no matter what it was, no matter what the offense, and as much as people pay for college, this is the ability for a government agency to take away thirty to sixty thousand dollars without letting you see the evidence against you. Right. If this was any other place, <laughs> that agency would be burned down. But because it was college students, people would say, "Well, that's a college." No, it need not be that way. And in Kentucky, we we said it shall not be that way. Right. Yeah. Wow. That that's uh, and so. You got did both of these bills got through the legislature? You got them passed? Is that right? Yes, sir. And we have Republican legislators. Um, and in with the with the free speech bill, Governor Matt Bevin signed the free speech bill, and then Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, signed the due process bill against the Biden administration. <laughs> and so I had two of the largest bills. And the due process bill is actually the national model. I think FIRE called it the gold standard. 
Um, it, it is the bill that has actually prevented, in a lot of ways, the new Title IX regulations from the Biden administration being rolled out because we had a Republican legislature and a Democrat governor look at our universities and hear stories from students. That was most important. I had other students go and tell their stories, both Democrat and Republican, of how the universities abused them. And all of our, our executive branch or legislature said to our universities, this will not happen anymore in the Commonwealth. And so we passed the largest laws in the United States to protect student rights and their ability to be students and to think freely. Yeah. Well, and because it's a gold standard, I think it's, it's uh, you know, obviously there are other states that have taken up campus free speech bills and, and we see mm-hmm. lots of uh, lots of those uh, pieces of legislation being passed all across the country. Um, there need to be more of them. It needs to be done in every state in America, but also this due process issue. And, and that's a, that's a big issue because I do think, as you mentioned, uh, public colleges and universities have been violating this and making their own rules, um, you know, and, and just kind of throwing constitutional rights to the wind. And so uh, thank you for doing that. I, I appreciate that. And my, my students, uh, I can't, my, my fellow students and cohorts, um, I couldn't be more proud. My, my, my proudest achievement is not any one bill. It's the fact that all these students have come together, and they are the best of friends. I have college Republicans and college Democrats who will go to events together to talk about due process and free speech and hang out with one another. In a nation that we hear so much about the political divide and even the political divide creating a lack of constitutional consensus, that is a constitutional crisis, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Our next generation and the students that I see here in Kentucky, I have not only seen the constitutional consensus with them, I've seen them to actually fight for a constitutional consensus. And, folks, our future is bright with that. Yeah. Wow. So, so great, Michael. And I, I want to thank you for coming on and telling your story and and all the all the work you've done it, done into this. Like, you know, we talk about this all the time. It takes people who want to stand up and make a difference. And I, I really thank you for wanting to do that. And look at how much has been accomplished because you and 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 others got together and decided that free speech was worth fighting for. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely, my pleasure, and, and I appreciate uh, having this opportunity. It, it means a lot, and it means a lot to be able to brag on these students. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you again, Michael. And listen, if if you're listening to to this podcast, I mean. What Michael said right there at the end is so true and so important. It's what we've forgotten over the last decade or so, I think, in America. Free speech makes us stronger. We we tend to be tribal in nature sometimes today where Democrats go hang out with Democrats, Republicans hang out with Republicans, and uh, we go into our tribe and we don't talk to other people. But you know what? If we find common ground like free speech where we can agree and we can work on these things and even discuss things that we disagree on, it makes us stronger as people. It makes us stronger as a country and it just makes us stronger in general. So I I thank Michael for this great work. And I just ask you, if you find this, uh, you know, on your college campus, send us an email. Send me an email, jeff at American Potential. 
www.americansforprosperity.com. I'd love to get you connected uh, either with Michael or with some of the folks at Americans for Prosperity who are helping fight some of these campus free speech issues as well. Thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.